Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast hosted by Becky Hills and Sophie Scully. We're here to make your 20s that little bit less scary. Touching on everything from career anxiety, struggling to pay your rent and the imposter syndrome that we all feel but no one talks about, this podcast will prove that ultimately we're all in the same boat. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Grad Life by the Horns. This week I just wanted to start the intro off with a little caveat about coronavirus. It's impacting all of our lives. It's a really scary and frightening and anxiety inducing time. It's really incredibly difficult and tragic for a lot of people who are affected themselves or they know family members or friends or loved ones who are being adversely affected both in terms of their health and their lives by coronavirus and we send out our thoughts and best wishes to anyone who's being negatively affected by this everyone as well who is struggling with their mental health at this time it's a really tricky time I'm I know like talking personally that my mental health's definitely been affected by this we just wanted to send out any love and thoughts to anyone who's struggling at the moment and we hope that this episode can act as a little bit of a kind of fun silly distraction because it's a really light-hearted episode and we loved recording it also another caveat is that we recorded this episode around a month ago before coronavirus reached the scale that it was at and we talk about politics in this episode I make a few jokes not about coronavirus just about political jokes and things and we don't mean to cause any offence or seem insensitive we just at that time were completely unaware of how things were going to develop so please bear that in mind when listening to this episode so getting into the main intro as we always do this week we were joined by jacob archbold jacob is one of my best friends from uni we studied at the university of sheffield together jacob did a degree in politics and graduated last year in the summer of 2019 he now works as an assistant producer on the bunker podcast which i would wholeheartedly recommend to anyone it's a really great podcast They've had Lisa Nandy on this week and they're doing daily coronavirus specials to keep everyone informed. Really, really interesting podcast that takes the news and looks at different ways of approaching it. And it's a really interesting discussion. And I would yeah, definitely recommend checking it out and we'll link it in the show notes. Before this, Jacob worked as a press officer at Best of Britain, who were an anti-Brexit organisation campaigning for a second referendum following the 2016 Brexit referendum. Before working at Best of Britain, Jacob worked as an intern in an MP's office and throughout his time at university, he did things like Bummit, raising money for charity and hitchhiking across Eastern Europe and did lots of stuff for campaigning for the Sheffield Student Union presidential elections. It was a real joy to have Jacob on as one of my best mates. It was really great just to kind of sit down and have a really fun informal chat about all sorts of things ranging from the etiquette of hinge dating to living at home with your parents after leaving uni commuting into london all sorts of different things we chat about politics and generally it's just a really really fun episode that i can't wait for you to listen to so without further ado let's get into the episode Hello and welcome back to another episode of Grad Life by the Horns. Today we are joined by Jacob Archford. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we start off every episode by asking you a couple of questions. The first of which is, what's gone wrong this week? <laughs> I crashed my car yesterday. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's quite no, 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 no. It wasn't a write-off like yourself is going to be, you know, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like, it was more... I bumped into this guy in a shopping centre car park because I was panicking about paying a ticket that I hadn't paid yet. And anyway, so <laughs> I bump into the back of him and he gets out. And he's really nice. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. So we drive down to sort out the insurance. And there's a ticket machine right there on the lo- on the lowest level. And I was panicking about kind of no. causing a big queue and, and stopping everyone and stuff. So that's what's gone wrong in the past week. 
apart from that, not much. <laughs> apart from that, not <laughs> no, ideal, but we move on. Right? Yeah, we move on. We move on. <laughs> and on a more positive note, what's going on for you? What's happening in your life at the moment? Work, podcasting, it's all changed really in the last month. I'm not really, I would say in terms of what's happening, it's just work. I, I need a holiday. I think I need a holiday soon. But at the moment, I'm just kind of getting into my new job, which is, you know, it's a lot of fun. But it's a bit weird to be on the other end of the mic as opposed to be watching a podcast that I'm now on the podcast. That is a bit yeah, weird. Yeah. So well, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But I think a good place to start is to go all the way back to even pre-university and what it was that drew you to politics. Needing another option for my A-levels. That's literally it. I can't, I, I, it was an accident. It can be acts I had. So when I went to when I went to sixth form, I had to do four A-levels AS. And weirdly enough, so I, I had my three options, maths, economics, and geography uh, were already selected. And I had to do a fourth. And my mum was like, you know what? It's good to be engaged, good to know what's going on in politics. And my school did politics A-levels. So I just did it. And I really liked it. And here we are. And um, oh shit, you know, six years later, I'm now, <laughs> now working in it every day. And I can't really, I can't really say if it was an accident or not, but I'm very glad it happened. Mm, so do you want to tell us a bit about, so obviously I know, but the listeners don't, what you got up to at uni, what was your experience at Sheffield like? Just, I mean, it was just drinking, drinking, drinking. I, it wasn't, I mean, to be fair, there wasn't much learning, was there? I mean, I feel like our lectures were on strike half the time yeah. that we were there. <laughs> were you hit badly by that as well? Oh God, yeah. We didn't, I don't think, I think there was a period in second year where we didn't have lectures yeah, for like, like six, six weeks. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was, it was six weeks of not really going in at all. I mean, I loved uni. I loved the lifestyle. I loved how it, you know, I know it's it's just not <laughs> representative of real life. It's been a bit of a shock having a routine. You know that I used to do all-nighters every single... Oh, yes. So I loved an all-nighter. I'm so happy oh, we can just over this. It's just me going to bed at night. <laughs> no, see, see, so in our group, it was me and there were... Me and Becky and there were three others. And four of us used to do all-nighters. And we were unbelievably undisciplined it was horrendous. Oh God, I yeah. mean, I'd wake up the next day and the group chat would just be them talking about their all-nighters and I'd be like, I've got about 50 messages to read through here about it. Like, have you gone to the loo? Have you gone to this bit? Like, I'm having an existential crisis at 2am. Oh, it was, it, was, it was great. I loved it. I don't know why we did it. Looking back, it was the stupidest thing we ever did, but, you know. So disorientating. It's weird. Well, it was, it was coming back. I remember <laughs> there was one time me and my friend Alex did an all-nighter and we left the library at 8am and it was light and we were walking back up the hill. Everyone was coming down the hill to go to uni and we were walking back up the hill and I'm there like getting into bed at 8 a.m., getting up at 4 p.m. And I'm like, I'm in the ideal kind of place to go on a night out here, you know? <laughs> I'm getting up at 4 p.m., you know, I'm going to be well ready to go to the club, you know? But yeah, uni was great and here we are. What was it like being in a city uni? Sheffield to me feels like a big town. It's not, it's not, so you come to London, I mean, now I'm here every day and it's, this is a city. Manchester feels like a city, Leeds feels like a city, Birmingham when I went feels like a city. You know, I've been to all those cities and they all feel like cities. Sheffield does not feel like a city. It's very homely, but also where the students live, you know, you know everyone, you know the area very well. And I don't think we really get exposed to the other parts of the city at all. I don't know about you, but... No, it wasn't until I had a boyfriend who was from Sheffield that I kind of was exposed to other sides of the city. And I think actually the good thing about Sheffield is that it is a city so you do get to see different bits of it and it's not so insular in that it's like a campus like I've got a lot of friends who go to Exeter and they say it's just so cliquey mm. and so tiny that you can't you don't get that outside experience whereas Sheffield is just quite it feels very homely but it's not 
overwhelming in the same way that London is. I think that was a good, it was a good balance of, you had everything you wanted there. You know, if you wanted to piss off out of the city, you'd go to the peaks and that was not very far. I mean, we went, Mm. didn't we, a few times? And we got lost and uh, had to get a taxi. thanks to me. Had to get, yeah, you, God, you, were, you were bloody awful with directions. Had to get a taxi <laughs> to pick us up. And if you want to go shopping, there's Meadow Hall. The city centre's got some reasonable shops. But I, and whereas I think, you know, if you think about London universities, A, it's fucking expensive to live here. I mean, we'll get onto that, I guess, later on in the show about as to why I'm not living in London yet. But also, so it's very cheap and also it's... You know, it's, you're not spread all over the place. You're all in one area. And if you want to go see your friends, it's, it's a 10-minute walk, max. And if you want to go to uni, it's a 10-minute walk. And yeah, it was great. Mm, and kind of going on from that to that point, you touched there a little bit on, like, why you're not living in London and everyone living so close and stuff in Sheffield. What's your experience have been like working in London but commuting from home after uni? So I live in a place called Gerrard's Cross, which is a town just outside of London, uh, very home counties, you know, old people, boring, no nightlife, you know, you may as well, I mean, honestly, it's got, I think the average age has got to be, well, it's quite, a, it's, it's just dead. I can't really, I can't really explain it. It's just really boring. Like our night out is, is a trip to the, to the pub, which you'll have kind of more old people there than you would. Do you have a spoons? No, but then again, I don't. <laughs> I, but, I, but I don't think that the people of Gerard's Cross would welcome a spoons. I think they'd probably try and just they wouldn't go. It's just not in their raison d'être. But I think that it's not because it's not really that far. I mean, Sophie, you live outside London as yeah, well. I'm so sorry. I don't know how long it takes you to get in on the train. Well, I actually live and work at home I would bloody love it if I could work from home because honestly the amount of <laughs> the amount of effort it is to get up and get in get in every morning so what, was... what's your commute so I live 15 minutes from the train station walk there and then it's like 20 minutes into into Marlebone. so actually this was ultra convenient because we are now in the Knight Frank office which mm-hmm. is on Baker Street so it was a nice 10 minute walk so I walk then to where I work which is Piccadilly and that's about half an hour so it's about an hour commute so it's not too bad actually yeah in the, in the that's grand better scheme. than my one from Essex Oh that god, your Essex, horrendous. your Essex, what, two hours, two hours each way? Yep, it was wild. Yeah, see, mine's not too bad and the trains are frequent. The only annoying thing is that you don't have things like the night tube or the night bus. You can't stay late. That is a bit of a bummer. The last train leaves at 10 past midnight. So, and as you know, oh yeah, when you miss it, you have to find another <laughs> way of... After well, a Spoons trip, Jacob, can I come and stay at yours? <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm hoping next year to move in because I'm desperate to leave not because it's it's you know my friends there my friends are great you know and whatnot but I just want to kind of get a bit more of an active I guess social life being in London rather than being out of London Mm. because that's the thing is that we have spoken about this before but that's the hard like you were talking earlier about Sheffield all your friends are there then as soon as you graduate everyone's just everywhere all my friends now live in the Midlands and just it's just really annoying but when you talk about social life and coming into London and stuff do you like do you enjoy dating do you enjoy (laughs) does Jacob enjoy dating (laughs) that was a really really just I don't know that was a really um pinpoint question there Sophie incredible do I enjoy dating not anything else um yeah Becky introduced me to Hinge, so here we are and now Becky stopped using Hinge so I've taken up the mantle Hinge is just so much fun it is, it is fun though. It is fun. I do so have what, to give it that. What actually is Hinge? Like? Okay. So Hinge is essentially a dating app that's slightly different to all the others where you can actually like people and see that they've liked you. 
So you do a profile with like five or six pictures and then you answer three questions based on some prompts and then people will see your profile. They like either a question or a photo and they can comment on that and then it comes up in your likes. So like Giles likes the fact that you wow. commented of all, about- Wow, of all the names, of all <laughs> the names. It's a very Becky name, isn't it? And we'll say like, oh, I like this comment or I like this photo or like flames or something. And you're just like, no, thank you, Giles. Like that's how Hinge works essentially. <gasps> I see. Okay. See, I'm I'm completely a, I'm a dating virgin. I've never really dated before in my life, so I'd I'd love to hear more about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not an expert of Hinge. I've only been on like three Hinge dates before because I've only started using it recently-ish. Mm. But how do you find then, kind of linking it back to the commuting thing? How do you find living outside of London but trying to date and have that social life in London? So I think that it's. It's just after work, isn't it? It's it's because I finish work at six, and if you want to go for a drink with someone after work, it's very easy to just meet up and to say, "Should we go for a drink?" In because I work in Soho, which is, I mean, it's a perfect, perfect hotspot. Yeah. Hot pubs on every corner. Yeah, Soho. You've got you've got loads of um, places to drink. It's very easy. But yeah, so with my Hinge profile, I think I'm doing it wrong. I think that so you can have your hometown which is where you're meant to say which is where you're from and your location which is where you're living at the moment but my location is Soho and my hometown is Gerrard's Cross which is where I'm living at the minute because if I put my hometown or my location as Gerrard's Cross I end up getting people from Reading, Swindon like I mean they're not even that close to Gerrard's mm. Cross but Oxford, Wickham, places that I just don't go to, you know yeah, and, no. Ger- and Gerrard's Cross is really not that far from London it's 20 minutes on the train it's mm. actually compared to a lot of other commuter towns, like how, I don't know how long it would take you to get into London from where you're from. So door to door, I think it, so to get from my house to here, so if we're recording, it takes me now 45 minutes door to door, I think. Okay, so mine was like 45 minutes from door to door. Yeah. The, my perspective on this changed because I was bitching to my mum about it and her partner who, he works all over the country, he commutes to like Manchester and Corby and he'll commute to like Newcastle in a day, it's awful. He said to me, you're actually really bloody lucky where you live. There are people who live in Leicester, Sheffield even, mm. who commute every day to London. I mean, they have to get up at 5am, get the train at 6, get in by 8, it's yeah, awful. That's no quality of life. No, so I don't think I have it that bad. I think I actually have it very good, which is lucky because, I mean, a lot of people don't have that and living, working in London is the, the kind of happy medium, I guess, where you, unfortunately all the jobs are in London, it seems, and, you know, not everyone lives nearby. What would you say is the worst thing about commuting? Not being able to be on your own time scale or you ha- having to conform to a different timeline. So on the tube, you can get, you just know a tube is going to turn up within two minutes, you hope. Yeah. Having to kind of go, okay, well, I've got to get the 8.22 so I need to be at the station for this time. And if I miss the 8.22, then I've got to wait to the 8... Well, to be fair, it'd be the 8.32 for me. But then, you know, it could be the 8, whatever, for someone else. Or the 9, it could be... You have to wait. So being on a timeline that isn't your own, I think, is the biggest bugbear. And also having to just... It's just it's, you know, the... the gen, I think everyone has to go through this with commuting because no one lives in... Not everyone lives in Westminster or in Piccadilly Circus. But having to kind of get rammed onto a train and, you know... It's not very nice, is no, it really? I call it like the London beta experience when you're like commuting from outside because you come in and you see it and you're like, this is amazing, but then you've got to leave again. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, you have you have uh, five trains, you say, from Balham that you have to miss every time. You have to kind of wait for five trains to go by before oh, you gosh, can get yeah, on the tube. Yeah, literally. My getting on the train in the morning is the bane of my life. So I, I'm not a very pushy person. I need to like use my elbows more. 
but oh, I, I've uh, mine, mine are really sharp. I think they're they're awful. Oh, I'm, I'm like I'm yeah. far too polite with that. I'm just like, oh, you go, it'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, you literally have to stand on the platform for ages, and I'm like, there's only like four stops before me. I'm like, how many bloody people live in Tooting? Like they just seem to come from nowhere, and so I have to like really wait for the trains, and then I'm like, I text my boss being like. I'm queuing outside the station to get into Balham. So, like, living in London does have its downsides as well mm. in that it's so much busier. But I wouldn't go back to commuting if you paid me. I think it's that kind of detachment, isn't it? Like like you said, you, you have a glimpse of London during the day and then it's the concept of having to go in and come out again. Mm. And that, my pet peeve with commuting is when people don't let people off the tube before they get on it. See, the my pet peeve with the tube is when this is such an, like an old person conversation oh, what the people with the tubes let's feel, moan about the tubes yeah let's moan about the tubes yeah. is when you'll be waiting there and you've waited for like two to go past and you're finally thinking you're about to get on and all of a sudden some dude just comes out from nowhere cuts in front of you and gets in and I'm like dude what the fuck are you doing mm. like, I've been waiting here for so long to get well probably for like two minutes but still you know I'm going to be angry about it respect the cues and respect the fact that if you're on the escalator stand on the right oh I'm awful with like I'm just like get out of the way like honestly, honestly. I, I feel like I had that problem the other day is that I was going down an escalator and people were standing on the left and I was just like so excuse me sorry they gave me evils and I was like why are you giving me evils mm. and then I got a bit further down there was a pram and then I was like oh everyone was waiting and now I'm just stuck <laughs> in the middle like oh, okay this is really uncomfortable I think that was another thing that um, I, I feel like with Sheffield and London you compare them and it's a stereotype everyone says oh up north they're a lot more friendly but they are. And have you found that kind of, that distance and that difference between Sheffield and London to be, have you struggled with it after uni? Have you found that it's made you feel lonely? Like, how have you found it? Um, well, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say I'm lonely because I have a really great support network of mates at home. I had a, a big group of friends at school, not to sound like I'm Mr. Popular or whatever, um, but there are 15 of us who we've maintained friendship throughout university whenever we've come back from university we've always met up so we have a ritual every week we'll meet up for a pint or go to the pub well that is what you do at the pub isn't it you go for a pint but we'll go to the pub every week uh wednesday or thursday and that's good because you've always got something to look forward to and you can bitch vent out your frustrations about work talk about your hinge dates talk about your hinge dates yeah (laughs) that's always good and then obviously friends in london like yourself and some other uni mates as well here in london which is which is great i think that the disconnect between Sheffield and London is like you said that you you had all your mates on your doorstep which you just don't have here I have to drive everywhere and end up crashing as I did did yesterday so um being in London it it won't I guess we'll never have the same we'll never be in the same sphere as we were at university because you're never going to be that close to all your mates which is a bit of a it's a bit of a shock but I think we'll uh, we'll get over it over time I hope what is the big appeal of London to you personally it's just big (laughs) there's so much to do I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I've lived in London my whole, pretty much my whole life. I've lived on its doorstep, but I never really ventured into it that much, which I couldn't believe. And then going up to university and meeting people who lived in Manchester, in Leeds, in different parts of the country, like our friend Tom, who lived in you know near, near um, Bath, mm. but not on the doorstep of London. I kind of realised how much I hadn't appreciated it. Yeah, it's just huge. There's always something to do. It's a very international city. There's, you know, you'll go on the tube and you'll hear ten different languages being spoken, which is just awesome. You know, people of all sorts of different cultures, vibrant. It's just vibrant. It's always got something going on, and it is. It's just so different to anywhere else in the UK. I don't think that there is a city in the UK that can rival it in terms of size and and sheer kind of number of jobs and opportunities it provides. 
but it is also, as we've said, unfriendly. <laughs> so I've just I've just given a massive raring speech about how great it is, but then also it's not as friendly as the North. So yeah, Sadiq Khan will cut off that bit at the end when he uses it in promo material. I hope so. You know, I mean, I don't know if Rory Stewart would use it. You know, he's he's got his own independent campaign, but we'll have to wait and see, I guess. So mm, and we touched on politics a little bit there. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what you're doing now, what your job involves, and what your career history has been like since leaving uni? So I am uh, an assistant producer for a new political podcast called The Bunker. Very weird, very weird name. I appreciate. We're trying to talk about politics that isn't doesn't get discussed that much in the media. So, for example, last week we talked about the justice system. We're talking about. Um, I mean, I guess the Labour leadership is being discussed constantly in the media, but there are certain aspects of it which aren't being touched on things like what's going on in France right now we're going to be covering that in a future episode may well have come out by the time this podcast comes out but it's 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 a sister podcast to Romaniacs which some people may have heard of which is an anti-Brexit podcast that's where I am now and proving to be really good fun getting to meet a lot of big beasts which is great but before that I was at Best of Britain which was a campaign group to stop Brexit that didn't go very well but it was a really good time and then before that I worked for an MP straight out of coming out of university and by straight out I mean I finished on the Sunday and I started work on the Monday yeah so. like that's literally you as yeah. well maybe that's a Sheffield thing <laughs> I it, it, honestly I it, it would have been nice to have maybe a week off or something or just mm. to kind of be at home for a bit going straight so I, I don't know about you but I got home on the Sunday so it went out for, was it your birthday? It was my birthday. So I'd started the week before and I'd come back specifically that weekend after being in London for a week for my 21st and then went back again. See, that, that's crazy because I, my first, my mum owns a pub, so I was able to work and earn a bit of money there. But I obviously graduated in June and then I didn't have my first internship till September. So yeah. I had a big gap. Yeah, see, I, I didn't. I kind of, so came home on the Sunday and we'd arranged when I got this internship that I would start on the 10th because I was kind of, I was wary of timing that I just wanted to get straight into it and get the most excited. I was very open to being uh, flexible. So they said to me, when can you start? And I said, well, this is the first day and anything from here works for me. So just let me know when is best for you. So yeah, got home and the the next day I was, I was straight into work. Do you feel like you would have benefited from having a bigger gap in between? I would have liked it, but at the time, I was very much, I just wanted to get involved and get stuck in and, and get started. I wasn't thinking about, right, I shouldn't say this, but university was pretty much a break anyway. I mean, I did piss all, so I can't, I can't really, I can't really talk. Um, Love the honesty. Well, no, 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 it's, transparency. it's important, you know, it's important to be honest about how I didn't do, I didn't do very much. I mean, that last week, we, we, what we finished on the 20th of May, didn't we? Yeah. And then we went to pro, to Budapest, Budapest. And then, yeah, so actually. And then just fanned about for a three weeks so actually yeah. in, in reality I don't think I I don't think I I wasn't it wasn't like I was studying and I had my last exam and then I went straight into doing to, to working I, I had a break before then so I, I it was it was fine I guess maybe a cust- kind of acclimatizing not that the climate's different down here at all but getting back into warmer. it is warmer yeah uh, but getting back into life at home would have been maybe a nice but it, it, it didn't really it didn't really play into it Stating the obvious, you studied politics at Sheffield. Yep. And all of your jobs since graduating have been to do with politics and in politics. How have you done that? Because <laughs> I think a lot of people study something and then they end up getting into jobs that have nothing to do with their degrees. So I think any top tips you might have or any, anything that could benefit So, listeners? 
I had my kind of changing experience for this. So I was in the library in December. I don't know why I would have been in the library in December, what I was doing, but trying to yeah, do... It's very proactive for you. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. Yeah, in the middle of the day as well, because I got a phone call from my mum and she rang me up and she said to me, oh, you know, you, what, what are you doing about jobs? So I'd, I'd applied for grad schemes and, and you know, for like the big four and, and whatnot and banks and... I kept fucking up on the maths test as you mean I remember you asking me to try and help oh you on a maths yeah. I, I couldn't I mean I did A-level maths and I got an A in it and I still couldn't do the maths tests and I was failing them because they try and weed out the best candidates don't they and they're trying to kind of but I don't think a maths test but they have to have some way I guess of getting rid of because everyone apply, loads of people apply but I think it's a massive flaw because you've got people who could do a very good job in the job but they're because they couldn't answer a question which has happened. So I was going for HR and I'm going, I'm having to do a math test. Like what part of HR will I have to ever work out what X, Y, Z is in, I don't know, 30 seconds. It's just bollocks. So I was applying to all these grad schemes, not really getting anywhere with them. And she phoned me up and she said, what are you going to do? And at that moment I realized, fuck, I actually have no plan. And I really didn't. And I think that's okay. And she was like, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, you'll you'll find something. And um, so I, I emailed some MPs to try and get work experience with them. And lo and behold, here we are. Mm, and did like a lot of your jobs that you've got, you've got through networking and meeting people on the jobs. What are your kind of, again, we're talking about top tips, but what are your kind of advice for other graduates who are wanting to get into something, have a job, but don't know where they're going to go afterwards? The biggest tip for, for me in terms of applying. So when I, did, when I wrote to the MP, uh, it's just about being open. Just have it. Just giving having all options on the table because a lot of people. So, I I worked for an MP in Parliament, but also in her constituency office. Now, I think on that letter, uh, if I hadn't said I was willing to work in either of them or both, I think I wouldn't have got it. If I was like I want to work in Parliament and showed no enthusiasm to work in the constituency office, I don't think she would have given me the placement because the fact that I was happy to help her, whatever it was, just to get some experience. I think was why I got it. I think that was one of the reasons. I'd also say find something you're passionate about as well and just get into it. I know it's a cliche, but... You're not going to succeed unless you're passionate about it. No, you're not. people can tell that. Like for me, it was Brexit. For me, that was what I was passionate about. And the MP that I, I worked for, she was also very passionate about it. She followed my values. I'd also been very active in the party that she was part of before, before emailing her. I've been a member for four and a half years. There was a lot to talk about in that email and going on protests, going on marches, just getting involved, I think is the really key thing and showing that you're enthusiastic because if you're somebody who writes a letter to an MP and says, yeah, I, I think you're, all, you're pretty good and you know, I, I'd like to do a bit of work for you. I, I don't think that really resonates. I think you need to have something, that, something on that letter that's actually going to stand out and they're going to go, oh shit, he actually does care and he actually would be somebody who'd do a good job for me. And... I think that's that's how you kind of get into politics, really. That's If I hadn't got that internship, I wouldn't be where I am today because that was the stepping stone, as you said, regarding connections into getting other jobs that I have, I have since. And I think that's a really salient point, just be enthusiastic because it's so easy to get really bogged down when you're doing it, like application after application, writing so many cover letters and you just copy and paste the same thing because you've done 55 in a day and you're like, I'm done, I cannot do this anymore. But demonstrating that little bit of enthusiasm 
throwing in something about like, oh, I've been a member for four and a half years. I loved the speech you gave on this. I liked yeah. something you did here. This is a policy decision I agree with. Just makes them think, actually, no, you've seen what I'm doing. You're engaged or looking at the right stuff because that's what sets you apart, just having that little bit of enthusiasm and determination that someone else might not. I think that's a good point because the MP that I, I worked for, she was the education sort of spokesperson. So she was very much, she was a former teacher and my mum's a teacher. So that was something I could bounce off on that. I'd also been to parliament to kind of talk to MP. So I talked to my local MP. This MP was not my local MP. When I, when I kind of had finished talking to my local MP, I requested to speak to her and I couldn't, but I spoke to her staffer. So I had on record, I tried to engage with her. So writing letters to MPs or someone that you're you know, keen to meet or keen to um, engage with is important. But your your chosen sort of subject doesn't have to be about Brexit. It could be the environment, it could be education, it could be, you know, justice, it could be anything really. I just think you need to have something you're passionate about and also show to that person that you really do care about it. And like you say, research what they've done because if you show an interest in them as well, they're more likely to, to want to, to give you a job. Yeah, it's about finding that common ground, isn't it, with them? And there's some really good tips that you gave there for how to stand out because if you think about how many letters and emails MPs must get. Oh my god. Like I like in terms of politics, environmentalism is probably my hot topic. I donate to Greenpeace and WWF and all of the emails I get through are like, Can you write a letter to an MP and stuff? I wanna I wouldn't even know where to start. Well I, I did the I was on the casework for a bit and honestly the amount of emails they get like thirty eight degrees they just get the same email over and over again and stuff and it's just yeah it's constant the mp that i worked for had a very active constituency quite a young constituency so they were got a lot of emails from people on on issues like the environment and brexit and stuff but i think i think it is really important to make yourself stand out because they also get a lot of a lot of applications for work experience and if you're not going to show that a you're open to doing to to just i was happy to volunteer and just to not get paid for it just to get some experience but i got paid in the end uh, which was great but if you're happy to show that you're just, if you're happy to be willing to do anything within reason, you know, working in the constituency, working in parliament, and then canvassing, you know, going out and talking to voters and showing that you're interested in their campaigns, I think that will make you stand out from somebody who just emails in going, I'd like work experience, please. I think a lot of people expect that the MP should give them work experience rather than actually, they haven't got much time on their hands and you need to stand out in order to get that. And when you were working for the MP, you said that you did like a lot of casework stuff. What else were you doing kind of day to day in your role? So it was helping draft speeches, questions. Uh, the MP that I worked for was beyond lovely as well. And the guys in the office as well, because you usually have one or two other people who are in the office do, who are the permanent staffers, uh, if you're not you know, an intern. And they were really nice and gave me ex- amazing guidance as well as to how to, and gave me references as well. I think that's helped me get where I am. But yeah, the actual job itself, as writing speeches, writing questions, going on constituency surgeries, which is really interesting, helping her, you know, hearing her, the MP, understand voters and, and in the, that, because that's the bread and butter of politics. A lot of people don't see that, but actually talking to voters and understand seeing how they engage. You learn a lot from that. So yeah, it's, it, was, it was great. What do you feel like, what was your biggest takeaway from that, especially and how it reflects in what you do now? I would say that my values were already aligned because you have to align with a party or a person to work for them. You can't, you can't go in and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Tory and then go and try and work for a Labour MP and vice versa. You have to align with them. But openness, internationalism, you know, wanting to, wanting Britain, I guess, to be just a more accepting country than it currently is, I feel. And I think that was what she, she really 
puts forward and also just someone who wants everyone to get a chance in life and she gave me a chance and I think if we had more MPs like her in Parliament we'd be a, a much better country but unfortunately we don't so <laughs> <laughs> and going on from that you then moved into working for Bass of Britain yeah I think I personally think there's going to be like kind of thick of it style documentaries and mockumentaries made about what life was like inside these sort of organisations in a couple of years' time. But what was it like actually being on the ground, being work, working inside the anti-Brexit movement? Best of Britain was awesome. The people there, the CEO Naomi is amazing. She's, I mean, I'm not going to just, this isn't going to be like a love letter to Naomi, but she is, <laughs> she's brilliant. You'd think that it was, you would have, we'd have a huge team there, but actually there were only about 14, 15 of us who were working in that in that team and there were three other interns who were with me when I joined as well so we had a lot of interns it was a very young team as well we had I think a mission to to try and be the voice of the Remain movement during the election because when I joined I was only meant to be there for two months to the end of October and then the election got called and I was asked to stay on for another few months and then to the end of January so I was there for six months in the end as an intern which was uh it was great experience. The inside day-to-day working of it was just was really great. The atmosphere was fantastic. What we were working on, I think, was well. It was it was a shame it didn't come off. That was you know probably the, if you're going to ask me what went wrong in the past year, I'd say that was the biggest disappointment because it would be really great to be working with them now on a second referendum campaign. But annoyingly, it didn't come off. The team itself was was amazing to work with, and I can't speak highly enough of them. As, as a first job, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything. Mm. And did you find it quite high stress having to adapt what you were doing because you were in doing press officer role, kind of adapt what you were doing to changing headlines, constantly have to keep up with policy stuff? As someone straight out of uni, was that a bit overwhelming at times? So <laughs> the I remember my kind of baptism of fire was when, I don't know if you remember the week when the Conservative rebels got kicked out of the party, the 21. Oh, yeah. And he prorogued Parliament and that all that shit went down we had to be on it and the guy who was the main press officer whose name is ludo who he i've never met anyone who works so bloody hard I mean, he's he's just he's just ridiculous he was on holiday that week oh, God. i mean I th- i'm looking back i bet he wished he hadn't timed it then because so it was left to me to do the press style and i've been there for two weeks at that point so i was doing the press releases for that week and it was just an absolute nightmare in terms of having to keep on top of it but it was so much fun it was just kind of being on the edge being in that kind of environment, getting those lines out, getting the stories out and making sure that we were responding to them when they happened was a really good experience. So that was very stressful. I can't, I, I don't think I'm ever, I mean, I, when I was in my interview and uh, Naomi brings this up all the time to me, she says, you said to me, you don't get stressed. I've never seen anyone as stressed <laughs> as you were in that week when the, when the rebels got kicked out of the party book. Yeah, there we go. I think when you go into something like politics, you have to be prepared for that, you know, sporadic environment and ad hoc. It's unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. very unpredictable. Oh, it's an ever-changing landscape and very often we'll have, you'll have kind of two, two kind of quotes ready to go in case, you know, in case something doesn't go your way or something does. And you'll always have one that you feel is more likely to happen. And this goes for every news organisation, but you always have to be prepared, I guess. And I wasn't prepared on that week because I was very new and you live and you learn. Exactly. You have to learn on the job sometimes. Like you expect as a graduate, you're like, I, I fit the job description, I've been given the job, it'll all be perfect all the time. But actually it's like you sometimes do have to go through the shit to learn how to do it properly. Yeah. As you've been replaying everything you've been doing since graduating, you've had a couple of different jobs, different internships. And obviously it's all been quite, you know, 
as you go, you kind of figure it out. How have you managed that element of uncertainty, I guess, of what's coming next and all that stuff? I mean, I, they always would tell me in advance about whether or not they wanted to keep me on, which I guess that I, I knew that my... So my job at, uh, in Parliament was ending in July, and I knew that. And so I started to look for other jobs. Um, another tip, workformp.com. Great website. Great we'll website. We'll link to it in the description. Great <laughs> website. Just get on that website. Actually, there's a Best of Britain intern job going there, I think, at the minute. It might have gone by now when this podcast comes out. But either way, yeah, workformp.com. Great website. It's just got all your kind of MP jobs and any jobs in PR, that kind of thing. So I went on there and I actually, it was a speculative application. I didn't really think I was going to get it. But I, I think it was on the 11th of July or something. I think that was the closing date. And I applied on the 10th at midnight for the job at Best of Britain and sent off a CV and a cover letter, got, you know, got through to the next, got, got an interview, went to the interview. So I was applying for jobs before my other job had finished. And then at Best of Britain, they just kind of kept extending my internship. And the job that I'm in now came through connections. So Naomi set me up with Andrew, who I'm working with at the minute, who's the producer of this podcast. So I can't really relate to people who've been, I guess, uncertainty. I just just kind of dealt with it as it came. But I was looking for jobs in the meantime when I was at Best of Britain, thinking that I might have to leave. I was always on that Work for MP website, which is a very good website. So that's... It sounds like a very good website. It's it's a really good website. (laughs) Hashtag ad for Work for MP. If I can can give you any, if I can give anyone a tip, it's just get on that bloody website it's it's brilliant so yeah all the jobs who work for mps and, and and that whether that be in parliament or in their constituencies they're all on there so and to apply that to kind of wider graduate life i think it is important that even if you're in a job you keep an eye on okay what else could i be doing let's see what jobs are going let's keep Gemma the cv that, updated yeah because i think otherwise if you do decide at some point you want to leave you then have that overwhelming feeling of oh my god i've been out of the job search market for so long how am i going to do this my cv is three years out of date I haven't been keeping up with what skills I need for other professions. So just kind of keeping that in the back of your mind and being aware of it, I think is really important to recognise. I would have to agree, but I'd also say that with regard to the intern market, there are a lot of internships on work from peace. You could very much see yourself going from one internship to another quite easily. And I think a lot of these employers are quite flexible with it. They they want they want you to succeed at the end of the day. They don't want to make a mug out of you. So you know, Best of Britain were very very good with me in terms of they were like if you want to stay stay and we're happy to extend your contract if you want to leave and move on to something else feel free to do it um so but yeah give that website a look and and obviously like you said keep your cv up to date because i didn't i hadn't written a cv for three years when i went for the the mp job oh my god so it was very out of date i can imagine as well and obviously in politics there's a lot of jargon and there's a lot of stuff like coming up all the time that you just have to keep on top of it otherwise you will be out the loop i think it's yeah in the media sense of things that's more the case i'm it's constantly looking at the media looking at what's being talked about especially with this new podcast because we're trying to talk about subjects that aren't being discussed so very much you'll have to go on some wacky opinion piece or buzzfeed or for goodness sake, like the tab or something, you know. Some, <laughs> we love the tab. Well, we love the tab, yeah. And find weird topics that people are talking about to get on the podcast. So last week we talked, or two weeks ago maybe, we talked about TikTok and what it is. Oh, I still I work in social I still media don't, and I don't understand, I don't understand TikTok. I've got no idea what it is. No. This is kind of like a Vine platform, but it's not. It just it? all it's... looks a bit cringy to me. But I feel like that 
you know, some of the video, I saw one of the funniest TikTok videos today. It was, you know when people put the bucket on someone's head? <gasps> oh, you said yeah, this yeah, to my sister, yeah. yeah. It was where there's two people and they both got the buckets on their heads and oh, that was, that made me... Oh, I will show you after. Basically, it was like in a Sainsbury's aisle or something and these two people are like, one's filming it and then there's like two people and then there's this woman or something and they put a bucket on her head and then they immediately put buckets on their heads and then as she takes it off, they're all walking around like, oh my God, he's put this bucket on my head, like trying to pretend that it's like a thing that's happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not making it's it sound so, as funny as it is, but it's, so it's funny. hilarious. Oh gosh, yeah, TikTok is definitely taking off, isn't it? Mm. Although I don't know how I can relate TikTok to my job at Night Frank, get a load of estate agents to do some like I think if you like shot a really kind of edgy music video around a house that you were viewing, maybe that could be a way, you know, like weird angles. Yeah, Um, maybe I'll pitch this to the board tomorrow. I think you should. I think you should. So you talked about the website and you've also talked about emailing MPs. What one piece of golden advice would you give to someone who's just looking to get wide experience in politics be open to doing anything within reason um (laughs) (laughs) just so i think a lot of people think that politics is london centric but i don't know who said the phrase but there's a famous phrase that all politics is local and that really does apply so if you live up north or somewhere not near london try and work in your mp's constituency office or if you can't do that try and work at the local council volunteer for a councillor go and attend some debates, go out canvassing, leafleting, anything to show that you're interested is, is going to make a difference on your CV and on your cover letter. Because if you just sit around going, oh, I can't do it because, you know, I don't live anywhere near London. I mean, I am fortunate, I, I admit that, you know, I do live near London, but in Sheffield, I, I wasn't living near London. And I went out and that's kind of where it all started. I wasn't, back in 2018, I wasn't thinking I was going to be working in politics. And then I started, to, one of my modules that I did was on working in Parliament and that kind of perked my interest up a bit. So when it came to the time, I was like, okay, shit, I need to start doing some more things. So I started going out campaigning for my local party, going out making making uh, making an effort with them and getting to know people, getting connections in that kind of way. So showing that I was interested, and you can do that anywhere in the country. You don't need to be in the centre of Westminster to do that. You can be anywhere. But just getting stuff on your CV, I think, is the most important rule. And yeah, being open to, to doing anything. Mm. And talking about being open to doing anything, your current role is completely different to anything else yeah. you've done before. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be a podcast producer? I guess my job is to book the guests, get them, get their diaries all organised, and then research what should be on the show, what should what we should be talking about. And it it sounds very nice and very easy. I tell you what, the amount of effort that goes into thinking of a subject because it's got to be interesting. If it's not interesting, then who the heck's going to want to listen to it? So, and then you obviously get to meet them when they come into the podcast, making sure the show is good and making sure they take the right lines on things and we talk about, we don't stray too far because we had John Burko on one of our podcasts and he can talk for England as we all know. And so trying to get him to stay on topic was very difficult, but we managed it. So um, give that episode a listen, by the way. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, after this. But yeah, it's it's been it was weird. I didn't think I'd be going into doing doing that. Also, writing scripts as well because there is a, a kind of, I mean, you must have a base script where you have the questions that you want to ask somebody, and it, yeah. it does kind of change from when when you're actually doing the podcast. But do it writing those scripts as well is a new skill that I'm learning because there is a way that you need to you need to write them and getting the right kind of level of jokes in there, but also seriousness as to as to what you are. Uh, as to what you want to talk about. Mm. And the thread I'm kind of noticing in what you're talking about is that adaptability. Mm. And what is it? Have you found that through doing all these different jobs, you've become more adaptable? Or is it something kind of 
innate within you that you are quite an adaptable person? God, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I guess I'm here just adapting to your questions. So I've always been one of these blasé people who, I mean, you know this, you know, mm. university was very much, oh shit, I've got an SAG in in a week, I need to get on with that. You know, it's not, uh, I don't know about being adaptable, that's probably the wrong word, but very much I've taken life as it comes. But you've adapted to different roles. Yeah. You've gone from doing kind of working in an office for like an MP to then doing like a comms role to now mm. doing kind of like a production role. So you kind of, are you picking up things along the way? I think that's more what I was Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, yeah. more um, the, the skills that I've gained are, def- uh, are definitely from a, a variety of markets. But there is an underlying link of just being a, a general politics wonk, I think is where I've, where I've kind of, you know, how I've been able to move, I guess, from job to job. Although it is testing me at the minute because I'd say that my area of knowledge is British politics. But this new job, I need to know about a lot more than that. So... I'm just listening to a ton of podcasts at the minute to mm. get my knowledge up. I yeah, guess. the good one, good one. Listening to at the moment is Americast with Emily Maitlis. Oh, okay. I really recommend that one because I know nothing about US politics. And then I went to see our mutual friend Oshin a few weeks ago, and he was <laughs> him and Tom were talking about American politics. I was like, I literally know nothing. I can't engage in this conversation, and so I started listening to so that. So we're discussing it on the podcast this week. Ooh, interesting. So, um, so it's fun you. I tell you what, though, I say that I listen to a lot of politics podcasts. Is it in yet? What a fucking podcast. The tab one. Yes. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's like, quite embarrassing. but I've been, No, it's not even embarrassing. It's a great podcast. But I've been listening to it on my commute home. And they'll say something completely outrageous. And I'll be like, what the f-? I'll be like, out loud, like, oh my fucking God. And the whole train would stop, stop and stare <laughs> at me like. Yeah, we're talking about quiet commutes. And you're the one that kind of cuts through that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, so... Maybe I need to start listening to some more politics-y ones. But. No, but I think that's great because our guest we were talking to earlier today, Dom, was saying that he tries to switch off from the news now when he's not at work. And I think actually that's an important point to note because when you're so consumed with being in politics all the time, it's important to have that respite and take that break. Is that kind of, do you do that through podcasts? How do you kind of have that break from your working life? So for me, it is football. <laughs> going to I, me and my dad like to go to football matches so we when we can but also like you say going out for drinks dinner you know hinge <laughs> hinge is your hobby just, it just it just continues to come back to hinge doesn't it so yeah I think I think it's very important especially in a Dom because Dom has a very similar career line in terms of he's, he's constantly having to look at the news and read the news and it can just get so fucking tiring uh, reading about the same stuff over and over again and so having that separation of your work and your life work-life balance is very important I do love politics I mean I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't like it it can't be your 24-7 you have to make sure that you're you're doing other things outside of it one thing I did want to ask actually is we touched on you know the different internships you've been in since graduating have you ever found it difficult to not compare yourself to someone who's had one job since university and in a grad scheme and kind of know where they're going to be and three years time no because I wouldn't want to be doing what they're doing I guess it's not I've never it'd be nice to have some kind of security but I I I, I really enjoy what I do so and I think that's important if you don't enjoy what you do there's no point so I went for an interview with a sa- for a sales job when I was at uni and when I came into this interview they were talking about you know within five years you'll be earning hundred thousand pounds you know six figures you'll be going on these staff holidays you'll get you know we give them rolexes for gifts and what if you like the top seller of the week and 
I just did not give a shit. I was like, mm. I'm just not interested in that. So, like I said, it'd be nice to ha- it would have been nice to have some kind of security when I was doing the internships, but at the same time, I wouldn't have changed what I was doing. It didn't really matter to me. You know, a lot of people, when they're looking at going into a post-uni career, they're very much, oh, I need to get on a grad scheme, I need to get on a grad scheme. It's really important that I get on a grad scheme, and if I don't, then I've failed. But it's it's really not. I mean, I if I hadn't got that internship with the MP, I'd, I'd have come home and I'd be... You know, wondering what to do with myself, but I would have found something. I'm not. I don't think it's ever a case to, to really worry about it. If it doesn't doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's not meant to be. I'm a big believer in you know things happening for a reason. Yeah, and it's, yeah. And it's backing yourself and being like, do you know what? Because we all. I mean, I feel like most people are kind of guilty a little bit of that imposter syndrome and becoming conscious of like maybe I'm not good enough for this and doubting your abilities because that's just, it's just human nature. But actually, I think it's important to recognise that you can back yourself and you're not being an arrogant wanker by saying actually no I, I might not have something now but I'm going to get something because I'm well, capable all of, of all of my friends so if I go through my mates from home who are at home the ones who are working none of them have a grad scheme job and they're all doing fine friends at uni you know who come from like yourself yours wasn't a grad scheme job mm. was yours a grad scheme job? no no no. so I don't think this this whole I've got to get a grad scheme I've got to get a grad scheme they're, they look great but they're not the be all and end all so. it is unfortunately the mentality though isn't it it's you know, you know when universities release their statistics on, oh, 95% employment rate after six months mm. of graduating, and you're like, oh, if I'm not employed in six months and I'm that 5%, it's that guilty feeling, isn't it? But you could be, like, like I said earlier, I, I was working at my mom, in my mum's pub for months, and then my uncle managed to find a slot for me at the New York Times. So, you know, I've been kind of snowballing through grad life. <laughs> but but if that's, that's if fine. If it suits yeah. you, it suits you. Like people, people are motivated by security. Some people love kind of just going from day to day and figuring it out there and then. And if, you know, if it suits you, just back yourself, like you said. Yeah, and you've got to just think about it in the wider scheme of things. It's like, yes, yeah, somebody might get a grad scheme straight out of uni, but they might bloody hate it. And they're going in every day working in finance or working for one of the big banks or in accounting or something. And really, they want to be doing politics or they want to be doing podcasting or they want to do all sorts of things. Well, this is things. it. And this is why I'm so glad in a way that I didn't get the grand schemes that I did or that I applied for because they just wouldn't have been right for me. And you almost feel like you're trapped because you're like, oh my God, I've got such an amazing opportunity. It's set out my life plan for the next 10 years. Mm. I can't do anything else because what happens when I leave? Whereas actually, if you have a job, and I'm not sitting here slating grad schemes because they're also great, but I think if you have a job that has that flexibility in it where you can go from one thing to the next and you can pursue your passions, you're ultimately going to take that onus off the five-year, ten-year plan, which is what stresses people out and increases that anxiety. It's about, having that, yeah, it's about having that plan. And I think that's where I was really worried. So I actually remember at the end of second year really kind of panicking about the fact that I knew that uni was coming to an end next year. And at that time, I think you were thinking of doing a master's, weren't you, Becky? Oh, yeah. You were oh, thinking... yeah. My, my journalism there's a bit, I think there's a, big, there's a big point at the end of second year where loads of people start to think about doing a master's because they don't want uni to end. And I knew in my heart of hearts, I was like, I'm not going to do a master's. It's not for me. So, But I've got all my friends around me saying, oh, I might stay and do a master's. And I'm thinking to myself, am I going to be the only one here who's going to be going home and not staying at uni and so I think that was when it I was worried about not having a plan honestly I don't I don't think that it's the be all and end all about grad schemes and having that kind of 10 year plan and setting yourself setting yourself targets great but it's not the be all and end all so if you don't have a job 
coming straight out of university, it's just go work in a pub and just go and get money and, and go traveling. I've got loads of friends who have, who have done that and they're having a, a sick time. I look at them in, with envy most of the time when I see their Instagram stories about them being in Vietnam and, and, and Thailand and whatnot doing far more interesting things than I am at the minute. I do like my job, but I'd rather, <laughs> wouldn't we, we'd all like to be on holiday. That's that's pretty normal. I, I think most people do that. I, I, I did that. I stayed, worked in a, in a pub over, over summer uh, in my first year and then, or worked in Waitrose over summer in first year and then uh, went traveling the next summer. But, you know, it's not, a, it's not a, an unreal, uh, an unrealistic uh, aim to, to have that time out. I think a lot of people also rush into university and don't take that year out, mm. which I wish I'd done. Yeah, I do regret actually not having a gap year. And I recently I was like, oh, do, do I want to go back in New York? Do I want to do something completely different? Because I see like our friends doing all these different things, and I'm like, oh, like this looks, looks quite cool. But because there's that pressure to get that job straight after uni or go straight into uni life, that you just think head down, get into it. I'll do the travelling when I retire. Yeah. And actually, like you got to do what makes you happy, and you need to take that pressure off and just be like, do I want to go travelling? Or do I want to get a job? Or do I want to do a mixture of both? It's just working out what works for you rather than going with what society I, tells you to do. And I think doing that gap year, either before or after, it, it doesn't make a difference. But once you're in the world of work, it's very difficult to take that. You can earn more money, but having that time out and, and um, you know, not to be cliche, but finding yourself. But really, it's just about... Because we've been educated... I've been in ed- education since I was four. I just think that, you know, it, we just need a break. Yeah, yeah which is a break. you just go from institution to institution like work is an institution in itself you're just like you've gone from one nine to five you need to have a little break where you do all nighters and get pissed in pop tarts but then you're back into another institution because you need that kind of support around you but actually taking that break going traveling doing whatever you feel comfortable doing and what's going to make you happy is the most important thing yeah and just because we might feel stuck you're not stuck and if there's something that's gonna work better for you just go and do it yeah yeah. The world's not going to necessarily end if yeah. you leave a job or you decide that it's not for you. Yeah. And on that very positive note, we have one final question for you, Jacob. How are you going to continue to grad life by the horns? I'm going to move into London. That I just can't be dealing with the, the non-night tube, the non-tube. I just need to get into London. I think get into the hustle and bustle of it and move out. That's my, my goal for the next year. Maybe we can have a catch-up episode and see how you're going to grad life by the horns once you're in London. (laughs) How the hinge dates are going. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jacob. It's It's been a pleasure. Hi, guys. It's Sophie here, rounding up the episode. You know what? We had so much fun recording this and... We even had to cut out a few bits because we were just laughing way too much for the microphone to even take it. So shout out to our editor, Palama, you're a star, and thank you for putting up with all of our cackling. Like Becky mentioned it in the opening, at times like this, it's important to just hear people talk about something different once in a while. So we hope you managed to find some form of escape through this episode. It's quite hard to summarise what we went through with Jacob, ranging from commuter life and working in politics alongside MPs to library all-nighters and to keeping your CV and industry jargon up to date. If you didn't already catch on, Becky and Jacob are mates and I had met Jacob before at our launch party back in September. So I was looking forward to just seeing him again and just having a good old chin wag. The best thing about Jacob is that he has been so versatile in his approach to grad life whilst also being fully focused on his passions and values 
working in local constituencies, playing a part in big campaigns such as Best of Britain, to now working as the assistant producer for the Romaniacs podcast and its new brother podcast, The Bunker, which is all about Brexit without the bullshit. He mentions in the episode that you should be open to do anything within reason, and we are grateful for the wonderful tips and advice he has for anyone wanting to get into a career in politics. Check out their podcast feed on Instagram at Romaniacs and on Twitter at Romaniacscast. While we're plugging, remember to follow us on Instagram at GrandLifeByTheHorns and on Twitter at GrandLifeBTH. We'd really appreciate it as well if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We are also very excited to announce that we now have a newsletter which comes out every two weeks with our first one being released last Tuesday which discusses key topics, offers recommendations and hopefully provides you guys with some form of comfort and relatable content whilst navigating grad life. You can subscribe to our newsletter through the link in our Instagram bio. I really could go on to talk about the current situation that's happening in the world but I am mindful of the fact that it is all-consuming in the news, on social media, and just generally in all aspects of life. Plus, we do have further things coming up to support our listeners more in this context. For now, take care of yourselves, think of others, and we send you nothing but positive wishes. If you ever want to chat, you know exactly how to reach us. See you soon, guys. Bye!